Good morning and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for Morning Coffee with Larry, and I am glad you are here to join me on a Friday. It's Friday, right? Yeah, yeah, my Friday. I love my Fridays. Ah, this is Friday, January 3rd in 2020. Oh my, we're here. We are we are moving into the new year. And today, what is the weather supposed to be? As I've said the past few days, in my family, there's there's this uh, uh, traditional belief that the first three days of the year rule the first three months of the year. So, weather bug, what is the month of March going to be like? Well, it's 46 degrees we're supposed to have a high of 47, so this is about what it's going to be, apparently, and a low of 42. So, kind of balmy, a cool balmy, it looks like. There's a, oh, a dense fog advisory. Uh, count on extra time to work today if you are around here. And uh, tomorrow, a 40% chance of snow. So, but today, again, kind of looks mild, so maybe we won't have a bad winter. Let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> it could just be a muddy winter. Okay, I do like the idea of frozen ground. I don't like the idea of too much snow. I don't really want bitter cold, but slopping through mud uh, and having extremely muddy pens with your animals is not fun. <laughs> So we'll see if that plays out, that we're going to have a mild winter. Oh, well, today I am trying another one of the teas that my daughter gave me for, for Christmas. And this has actually turned into my favorite tea many years ago. It's Earl Grey. It's got a nice, just a nice colorful not too bold of a taste. Now, always my favorite thing with Earl Grey is to put some half and half in it, uh, or if I have it available, heavy whipping cream. Oh, that makes your an Earl cup of Earl Grey really good. I never had any clue where the name came from until a few years ago, when my daughter was going to school in Ireland uh, for a year, and she. In the, in the program over there, she had to take an Irish history class. And that's where she told me about Earl Grey. He was the Secretary of State of England in, I think it was, the, well, it was the mid-1800s. And he came up with a scheme, which is, you know, they used that term back then basically for a plan to deal with uh, two interesting problems. One you had in Ireland, uh, there had been disease, there had been famine. You had a lot of children who either had lost both parents or they had um, lost a parent and the parents were not able to provide for all the children. Well, there's a lot of reasons why all those things took place and it was pretty much the the, the horrible situation that uh, the British had placed upon the Irish people. Then you also had a problem where they had a penal colony in Australia that um, basically set up 
a uh, an out of balance state where there was way too many men down in Australia. So apparently Earl Grey, and I may be butchering parts of the story. Uh, you may want to just look it up and read on your own to get you know the most accurate detail if this interests you. But he uh, made arrangements to send several ships with, I'm thinking it was like 4,000 uh, children from uh, workhouses. Uh, that uh, That's where they were going to, uh, in essence, earn their keep as children. And they, uh, they sent them down on ships to be domestic labor in the homes of uh, the, uh, the people down in Australia. Uh, typically just, you know, there was just this overabundance of men. So they were sending down uh, young teenage girls. And what I found from listening to uh, uh, a podcast one time where they were talking about this, that these girls, many of them, uh, well, in just minor age, uh, they wound up marrying whoever they were, in essence, assigned to. And so many of the people of Ireland can now trace their ancestry back to one of these Earl Grey scheme uh, girls. So it's an interesting uh, time period. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of thoughts on each way. It was a different different time in society. There were you know, you had these kids that were uprooted from their homelands, from their remaining family members. It didn't mean that they didn't have any family at all. They just, they were in these circumstances, and they went into a very rough, challenging circumstance. But it's that Secretary of State that apparently uh, somehow got a T named after him. So, well, let's get into what I wanted to talk about today, and it's a little bit kind of as of a quiz, I'm going to say. It's titled, Seven Things Every Child Needs to Hear. And uh, so what I'm going to do is just kind of read over those, and you kind of keep track of uh, how well you think you're doing. And uh, maybe we can come up with some quick ideas of ways that you can uh, improve or start doing some of these things. And it may also bring out some stuff, you know, for you that you need to work on with yourself. So seven things every child needs to hear. And I stole this from the, uh, stole it, well, it was, <laughs> came across my Facebook feed uh, from a, a friend, Kelly. And so thank you, Kelly, uh, for, for posting this because I like it. Number one, I love you. Yep, every kid needs to hear it. I love you. How comfortable, how easy is it for you to say, I love you? Some people are very good at it. Some people, they never heard it as a kid. They just don't see the value, many of them, in saying, I love you. Um, sometimes uh, there's a lot of pain associated with it, maybe with how you grew up. And saying I love you stirs up some of those pains, so maybe you don't do it as often. But that doesn't change the fact that you needed to have heard it back then. You needed to have believed it back then. And your kids need to hear and believe it now. And so if that's something that gets in the way for you, if there's something from your past 
or, or misperceptions about what I love you means, that may be an area that you need to work on because your kids, and frankly, the kids around you that you care about, uh, other members of the family or kids in with a job that you have, you know, uh, an appropriate way of saying, I love you. Uh, you matter. Uh, you don't have to do anything else. I, this is this is what I choose. I choose to love you. Number two, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. There's a difference between I'm proud of this thing that you have done and I'm proud of you. Your kids need to understand there's a difference. You need to understand there's a difference. Because if you're proud of the things that they do, so when they do the good things, you're proud of them. Now you've made your pride, and in essence, how they're going to perceive it as love, love in action, um, conditional. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of my grandkids. Do I agree with everything my kids do? No. Do I agree with everything my grandkids do? No. Would I like to see certain things in my kids and grandkids improved upon? Yes. Would I like to see things in myself improved upon? Yes, most definitely. But regardless of the actions, I'm proud of each and every one of them. I had the opportunity to, uh, to brag a little bit at a Christmas party. Uh, my oldest grandchild was working the table at the restaurant we were meeting, and I was, I was, I mean, I didn't know, I had forgotten she had worked there. And, and then uh, whenever uh, she wound up being our server for our group, it was, I was so proud. I was telling everybody, you know, this is my granddaughter, tip her well. <laughs> you know, I'm proud of her. And uh, regardless of choices, be proud of them. And maybe you never heard that as a kid. Maybe you heard the opposite. Maybe you grew up with conditional pride. Your parents were only proud of you if you lived up to their expectations. Well, you know what? Don't fall into that trap with your kids. Be proud of them. Number three, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My preferred statement is, uh, please forgive me. You see, if we make mistakes regarding our kids. Do we admit to them that we made the mistake, that we are sorry that we did something wrong, that we ask them to forgive us like we want them to do with us? If they, if they make a mistake, we want them to say they're sorry. But are we willing to do the same thing? We need to. How else are they going to learn? Are they going to have to learn from an after-school special on TV? Are they going to have to learn from a YouTube video? Or are they going to learn that from us, their parents? That's one of the things that I have tried intentionally to do with my kids, is to admit whenever I've done wrong, working to teach them that as an example. And sometimes I do a good job, sometimes I don't. But, you know... Admitting wrong is how you teach them to be able to do it. Don't just be quiet and hope that they move past it or they forget it or it just doesn't have to be brought up because you're embarrassed. Get over yourself. Yeah, I said that. Get over yourself 
admit when you were wrong, ask them to forgive you, and help them then to be able to forgive you. Forgiveness is one of the most important things out there. You've heard me say that kind of thing many times. Number four dovetails with it. I forgive you. I forgive you. You don't want unforgiveness in your life. You don't want kids to live under the burden of you bringing up crap over and over again that they were under the impression maybe they had been forgiven for. Forgiveness. If you can't do it because you never learned it, learn it now. Learn it now. So you can honestly, genuinely, spiritually forgive somebody. Do you want to be forgiven? If you do, you need to master that skill to forgive forgive yourself and to forgive others. If you don't want to be forgiven, okay, now we got a whole new can of worms that that may be something you need to talk to somebody about. Forgiveness is important. Number five, I'm listening. Put down the damn phone. Put it down. Put down other distractions. Pay attention to your kid and say, I'm listening. And then actually do. And practice listening. Nothing honks me off more in myself and in others when we get preoccupied with a phone and we're not listening to kids. That's teaching them that whatever is happening on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, is way more important than their lives. Put down the damn phone. Make a rule. Make a rule that there's no phones whatsoever at the dinner table, breakfast table, lunch table, wherever you eat meals together. Make it a rule, no phones, so that you're listening to them and they're listening to you and you're talking. Do your talking then. It's a great opportunity to do so. Sitting at a table where everybody is silent, I don't know what the heck it is. You might as well be at a lunch counter eating by yourself. It's a great time to engage and talk. And if that wasn't how you were brought up, everybody was silent because that was the stoic nature of the household you grew up in, break that tradition and listen. But get rid of the distractions when you're listening. These things, we carry them with us everywhere. We set these, you know, where we we get them set so that anytime there's anything that happens, there's a ding, there's a buzz, there's a something. Change those settings because it pulls you away from the people that matter. I'm listening is so important for kids to hear. Because if they don't, then they're going to go to the places where they do believe they're being listened to. And some of it's just pretend listening. Some of it's just pretend. They need to learn the genuineness from you. Number six, this is your responsibility. This is your responsibility. Kids need to hear that. Kids need to understand that as they grow up, they are taking on more responsibilities. That they are having to, as they like to say, learn how to do adulting. They need to learn how to be responsible for things. When they are responsible, then that teaches them how to put the values of the family into practice. Don't just do everything. They need to know what's their responsibility. Don't blame them for for not doing things when it hasn't been clearly made that that's their responsibility. And then number seven, and I love this one. 
You've got what it takes. Kids are having to do new things all the time. They're having to learn new things. They're being challenged at school. They're being challenged just as they go through the different stages of development. They're they're seeing things differently than what they did before. Sometimes there's an insecurity that comes in because of simply their stage of development and how they how they perceive other people thinking about them. And you know, they may be able to, they may be going from being confident and doing something to being insecure because now they're worried about how other people see or think about them in a way that they didn't worry about it before. And they need that coach aspect of your parenting where you say, you've got what it takes. Give them the encouragement. Let them borrow some of your confidence until they develop the confidence of their own. You've got what it takes. They need that. You need that too. Seven things every child needs to hear is I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I'm listening. This is your responsibility and you've got what it takes. I love this little meme. I'm going to post it on the Facebook page. And uh, if you've got kids, go out there, snatch it, put it on your phone and look at it and think about it and share it with others. It's a good, these are seven great things. All right, people, that's it for today. I've got to finish my uh, uh, Earl Grey tea. I almost said coffee. <laughs> I've got to finish my Earl Grey and uh, continue writing on a project this morning that uh, I had hoped to have out uh, just in a few days, but I'm, I'm delaying it a month. Uh, so hopefully next week I'm going to start talking a little bit about this. Uh, as I get closer to the uh, completion of the written materials. So I'm going to work on that project for a while before it's time to head to work. So take care. We'll see you all on Monday. So enjoy your weekend. Have a great time. Bye-bye.